Some playoff games are diamonds. Some playoff games are Heat Celtics game four. This is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to On NBA, your daily source for all, all things NBA from the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen each and every day. We're free and we're available on all platforms. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and the co-host of Locked On Nuggets. We've had a very busy day. Uh, also a man with a very busy day is David Ramil, who is co-host of Locked On Heat, who for some reason the fates ordained that he would not only have to lead Celtics game four, but he would have to podcast about it, not once, but as he did Locked on Heat and is now with me doing this show for you for a Tuesday. David, how are you? <laughs> I've been better, Matt. Hanging <laughs> in there. Uh, the, che- the checks are still clearing, so that's okay. I just, you know, there's more of them. There's more zeros when the Heat go deeper in the playoffs, but we'll see what happens. It should be a fun game five for sure. But game four, not so much fun as the Miami Heat. Absolutely started off in a historically bad fashion. Uh, their starters scored a total of 18 points all game. And, and maybe some of those numbers are a little funny because they did play for most of the second half. But that's not great uh, to get five starting level players to only chip in less than 20 points. They missed. They didn't have a field goal until the nine minute mark. Or after nine minutes had already passed in the first quarter. It was an 18 to one lead. And by that point, the game was pretty much already decided because if we've seen Miami does not have the capacity to close those gaps. There was no 22-2 to two run or anything like that. Boston's defense was simply too good. So let's get into it. Yeah, so at 5-14, Tatum hits uh, his second free throw as Jason Tatum had himself a night, which we'll talk about. And that's a 5-14-59. Yeah. So you really you shorted him a, a few minutes. They made it uh, a good Let's see, that is uh, seven minutes without a field goal. Not nine. They were they were better than that. But it, it took them until 4.59, <laughs> the five-minute mark yeah. of the first quarter for uh, them. Oh, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. I was off. I was uh, reading that wrong. You are correct. As it was, yes, the three minutes and 22nd second mark. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, for them to get the field goal. I mean, look, here, here's what I would say, Okay. The final score was 20. Now they were up like 20 some points, but like yeah. the final score was the final score of this contest was 10282. 20 points. If you just take out <laughs> that first I do just kind of look at this and I go, the big thing here is if I'm looking at the series, I expected for Miami to have one game that was just a total offensive clunker. Like if there's one thing that's like their weak point, it's absolutely their offense. Like that's where, so if I look at this, like it's not surprising to me that they wound up having an offensive night where nothing went right. They couldn't hit anything. They don't score for like nine minutes. It has, they have this. So there was going to be one of these kind of crammed into the series anyway, right? Like, I think it's logical. The Heat were going to have one of these nights, and they were going to have one probably being up to one. Boston can't afford to go down 3-1. Boston knew they had to play with desperation. 
the heat without Tyler Hero wound up being kind of the story of the game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, look, I, I, I've been pretty consistent saying Boston's defense is pretty good, and they yeah. certainly were tonight. Uh, the insertion of Robert Williams in the starting lineup, even without Marcus Smart, who was out for the game because of that ankle injury he sustained through game three, uh, Miami just had no answer. They couldn't generate any easy looks at the rim. They were challenged on almost every offensive possession. They were forced into shots that they weren't capable of making and didn't want to take. A lot of mid-range shot opportunities. Three-point shots weren't falling. Again, Max Struess went scoreless. Kyle Lowry didn't have a a three-point shot until later on in the game. They just weren't able to generate anything offensively. And I think a big part of that was the combination of Robert Williams and Al Horford, who both of them clogged the paint. Took away Jimmy Butler's ability to get to the rim or to the line. He finished just 3 of 14 in total. Uh, he was probably limited by injury after the game. Eric Spolster kind of downplayed it. I think we're going to hear a lot more of that, that the injury wasn't an issue and things of that sort. But it was pretty clear that this was not the version of Jimmy. And you have to balance that between Boston playing him very well and him being somewhat limited as far as his overall health is concerned. But it was just an ugly offensive game i don't know if you i don't think a lot of heat fans had a game like this penciled in particularly after the way miami was able to explode offensively in game three and again a lot of that i know was uh, without robert williams in the lineup but they just looked so good to start off that game they were able to do just enough they were able to get 31 points from bam Adebayo, and i think that's going to be the focal point when everybody looks at this team tomorrow and wonders well what the hell happened and why did bam you know, not have a duplicate of his game three performance. I think that's going to be the big question mark. And yeah, Jimmy's going to get some some deserved criticism because he just well, he wasn't uh, you know great out there. But Bam, I think, is the bigger issue from a lot of Heat fans' perspective because after a thirty-one point outing where he was aggressive and, and attacking the basket, knocking down mid-range shots, leading in the fast break, generating all these great open looks for everybody else, just he wasn't in it today. Uh, and you have to give credit to Williams and Horford because they did a really good job of just forcing him to give the ball up early in possessions. He wasn't looking to score. And even when he did have the ball, they were challenging him and closing out. Yeah, I don't know. I can't, you know, it's not, it's not like you look at this game and go like, oh, it was this guy, right? I mean, you, like Tucker goes 0 of 4. Like Tucker and Strews combined for 0 yeah. of 11 from the field. 0 of 11 That's from not going to cut field. it. <laughs> it's not great. Not great, Bob. Kyle Lowry goes one of six. Gabe Vincent goes two of 10. And what's really crazy about that is with no Marcus Smart, who was out tonight with the ankle injury, like that should have freed up those guys to get a little bit more loose, especially Vincent. Like they should have been able to maybe take advantage of it. And again, credit the Celtics, credit Robert Williams, credit credit Horford, credit all those guys for stepping up. And like for the Celtics, you know, it's pretty boilerplate performance in terms of what they're looking for, right? A dominant defensive performance. Tatum goes for 31 on eight of 16 knew he was going to bounce back. This is just kind of what he's done is every time he has a really bad game, the next game, he really does respond. I think he's young enough mm-hmm. to where he doesn't just go like, ah, you know, I've lost a lot of these games, same approach next game. I, t- I talked about this on over on my podcast on action network on buckets about how there are players like Damian Lillard's like this, James Harden's mm-hmm. like this, where it's like, Nope, last game doesn't affect me. Like same process. Just go at it. No changes, same approach. And there are players that after they have a really disappointing game are like, they're super motivated to bounce back. And I think some of that is youth and Tatum's still young enough to look at that performance and go, I have to be better. And he came out super aggressive uh, on both ends of the floor. I thought it was deep. Again, I just really don't don't think Tatum gets enough respect for how good he is as a two-way player. Like we have two of the better 
two-way wings as far as a first option in yeah. the, the NBA in the series when you have Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum. Um, and Tatum with five assists as well. Like just a really good, he even, you know, he shot one of seven from three. Most of those were pretty good looks. I thought, uh, yeah. could have had a bigger night. Honestly, that was, that was, what was crazy. The heat defense did the job, you know, the Celtics as a team shoot 39.7% from the field and 23.5% from three. They just, the heat just couldn't score. They just, they just yeah. could not yeah. score. And then, and I, I guess the reason I would say that you can kind of expect a game like this is their half court offense. If it's not humming, Right. It wobbles a little bit, and if it wobbles a lot, like the wheels just fall off, and that yeah. and that was kind of what happened. Um, I guess my big question for you is like the Heat have been so good at home; they did lose game two at home. Right. I think these two teams are evenly matched. I think these two teams are are. I think these two teams are exceptionally identical uh, from a qualitative perspective, and what I mean by that is like the way they play: switch heavy, perimeter oriented, highly athletic, yeah. very smart, well coached solid organizations so to me like this is kind of i've called this the spider-man meme series which is one reason why i think it's been yeah. blowouts it's basically yeah. like all right who's able to get leverage all right they're gonna hit more shots and the other team's gonna get worse whichever team is, has the advantage in that game they get exponentially better and the other team gets exponentially worse and that makes it hard for the other team to kind of hang in there um i'm expecting a bounce back for miami in in game five game that's five. what i expect is that miami to, to come back in game five I, I honestly don't know if I'm as optimistic about that, just because mm -hmm. I, I see all the points that you're making. Um, my concern is Williams and the way that he challenged Miami's offense, which, as you pointed out, was already struggling or can certainly show the potential to struggle regularly. And, and I'm a little surprised also in that Eric Spolstra probably assumed that Williams would be back. He had mentioned all season series long that this was the team that they were going to prepare for, especially if you know without Marcus Smart in there. Uh, you probably would have thought that they'd have some advantage to a degree as far as that starting lineup concerned, but they just, they weren't, they weren't creating open looks for anybody. And, and some of that, again, it deserves credit from the Boston side of things. They did a really good job of taking Miami out of it, but uh, I just don't know what they're going to do to change things around, to regain that home court advantage. And Boston's already shown not just in this series, but also against the bucks that they can win on the road as well. So those are concerns. Tyler Hero's absence is a concern, but he hasn't been great this series against no. his Boston defense. He hasn't been able to get those open looks. He hasn't been able to make plays for others. There's the threat that he presents out there, which Caleb Martin doesn't present or Duncan Robinson at this point doesn't present. So that's an added boost on that sense. But he actually has to come up and produce. It's been clear that the groin injury that took him out of game four has been limiting him. Uh, if he's able to bounce back to you know relatively close to 100%, maybe he can go off for one of those big nights. We were just debating this on Lockdown Heat. You know, it, it, it seems like every time they cut to the broadcast and showed him fuming on the sideline, it just built up this idea that he's probably going to come back just absolutely gunning, uh, go the over on 30 points uh, for Tyler here, or uh, at least I don't know how many shot attempts he's going to have to take to get to that point, but he's going to be absolutely gunning in game five because you could see – that he's going to feel the need, the pressure that he puts on himself to get to this point to just save his team and save this season. So you wonder whether or not he's going to shoot the heat in or out of the game. Jimmy also has to bounce back. He just he cannot afford yeah. to have a 3-4-14 night. He has to at least be able to hold his own against Tatum, and, and that wasn't the case tonight. I expect Butler to be better. He's back, I think, you know, a couple of days. Sure. He'll, he'll, yeah. he'll be a little bit better. And then um, the big question, 
question for me is either Victor Oladipo, because Oladipo was good tonight. The only yep. player that was even halfway defen- decently for the Heat. Um, it's either going to have to be him, Gabe Vincent, or Kyle Lowry. One of those guys is going to have to have a game. Doesn't matter who. Like, you'd prefer, I think, to be Lowry, considering how much money they paid for him, right? And I get where he's at in his career. I'm not asking him to go out and yep. score 40. I'm just talking about, like, you know who had a really good game tonight? Kyle Lowry. Like, in seven, like, a really, like, solid game. Just to give them a little bit yeah. of a boost. Because one of these games... Like he wasn't game three. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of these games is likely to wind up with, like, to be a real nail-biter defensive slugfest. Right? Where one... Where we're probably due for one of the games where both teams are okay. Like, not horrific like the Heat in this game offensively. Right. But also not great. And then it's just going to come down to the defense. Because that's the, the real strength of both teams. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, Mavs Warriors, whether or not Dallas uh, will be sent home on Tuesday night. We'll do that when we come back on Locked on NBA. But first, I want to tell you about prize picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you got to try the award winning app, prize picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and we know that you're going to love it too. You pick two to five players and over-under on the projections, and you can win up to 10 times on entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. Uh, I took Tatum over on points, rebounds, assists tonight. I took uh, the under on Jimmy Butler because I thought that the knee injury would probably bother him. Wanted to hitting on those. That's a, a good hit for me. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Price picks is safe, and it offers fast withdrawals, and you can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. They offer any prop you can think of, from points scored to rebounds. You can even get on the steals game when Marcus Smart inevitably returns at some point in the series. Prize Picks doesn't just offer NBA. They've got options for college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. And for a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. You can get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point, but you have to use code NBA. That's right. An exclusive offer available for Locked On fans. Just sign up today and use code NBA and get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. Prize picks is daily fancy made easy. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day and your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Make your second listen, the Locked On NBA Big Board. It's got mock drafts and player rankings and, of course, those big boards, everything to get you set for the NBA draft at the end of next month after the lottery. Lots of excitement, lots of names being bandied about. Check it out on the Locked On NBA Big Board show wherever you get podcasts. Back here with David Ramil. So let's talk about Mavs Warriors as the Warriors go up 3-0 on Sunday night and have a chance to sweep these Dallas Mavericks. Um, David, this series reminds me a lot, actually, of the 2015 Western Conference Finals. A Warriors okay. team at the beginning of their run made the Western Conference Finals and, and faced a Houston team, if you remember, that had gotten past the Clippers, but thanks to Josh Smith, made those conference finals. And when they got there, um, the two first games in Golden State were super competitive, back and forth, real tense, right? Go to Houston, and it's supposed to be like, Houston's entire like ethos, their 
their whole tone was, okay, look, tough two games, but we're in this series. We just packed home court. We know this is going to be a long series. And Golden State came out in game three and just walloped them. Hit them with so much intensity, you could tell that the Rockets were just like taking it back. And by the time that the dust settled, the Warriors had a 3-0 lead. They then proceeded to basically screw around in game four because it was like we were up 3-1. This thing's over. We'll let you get one uh, in front of your home crowd to end the season. And they closed them out back in the Bay. This reminds me a lot of that. I kind of wonder if Golden State is going to look at this and go, hey, we burned a lot of energy. We got that win in game three. Work here is done. We can move on. We can start thinking about the next series. We'll close them out in game five back at home. You know, it's a great point. And I do wonder about that myself. I just kind of think that this version of this team, because as you pointed out, that was at the beginning of the run when they're younger and they're not as dependent on long extended days of rest and things of that sort that they might want to sense more, if not desperation, just the necessity to try and do what they can. I mean, look, this is kind of overlooking whether or not Dallas just has a monster game. It seems like they've kind of been rendered pretty neutered. I I just, they have not been able to do what they were able to do against other opponents. Uh, They might have a bounce back in them. Uh, I don't know how much more they can get out of Luka Doncic, but uh, they've got to have somebody else step up and compliment him to some degree. As far as the Warriors are concerned, I I think they'll want to be able to just do what they can to close it out. I I will say that they'll probably go in there with that kind of mentality, hoping that by the third quarter they've got one of those crazy runs in them where they absolutely put the slam the door on their opponent and then just are able to coast the rest of the way through. I could see the inverse of that where if they don't have that you know huge lead, they go, oh, you know what, let's just kind of save it. We'll just let Dallas get their win, et cetera, and, and be able to, as you said, close it out in game five. They certainly have the capacity for both. I mean, they are like all the other teams that left in, uh, in this playoff race, uh, fallible to some degree. They have their weaknesses, and that's one of them, but they've certainly looked pretty dominant over the first three games of the series. Yeah, and I want to be clear on this. It's not like I think the Warriors are going to go in there and not care at all. I think the – the no, mentality probably, yeah. from, from talking to players is often, look, we'll go in, we'll see if we hit shots, right? Because you hit shots and you're like, okay, we've got like a 15 point, you know, we're up 10 and a half. We can just go ahead and close go. this out right now. But if the right. Mavericks come out and they hit them with like a big first quarter run and it's, I don't know, let's just like make up a number, 18 to one, like after like the first, I don't know, nine minutes of play. Ah. If it's one of those ah. types of situations, <laughs> then I think Golden State probably is like, yeah, Golden yeah. State's probably like, okay, Okay. You know, not our night. Fine. We'll, you know, we'll regroup. Uh, because I do think the veterans tend to look at these things as understanding the flow of these games. Like they have they have a really good sense for the flow, of, especially if you've been in as many playoff games. The big question I have for you is this, because I've been still kind of like wrestling with this. Um, Golden State's up 3-0. A lot of people like Dallas in this series. I was surprised at how many people were like – lock stock and like they just bought they were like oh but luca and i was like i just kept being like guys this is i understand they're not the same this is still the warriors like these are still those players who when they were fully healthy were as good as the suns after the first month of the season i think had the better record they started getting injuries like we should really probably rethink this uh (laughs) but so the warriors have looked this great there's been, you mentioned them being fallible. There is kind of the sense that this is not that 2016 or 15 or, and definitely not the, the KD years. Like this team's beatable. They're exceptional. They're great. 
they don't feel like an unstoppable monster that nobody can even hang with. That's just, that hasn't been who they've been this year. Right. Right. Dallas goes in and they beat a jazz team that it's the jazz, right? Great regular season team, a lot of really good players, but we know the deal with them. And then they face Phoenix and they get past Phoenix. And while we were all burying the Suns, it was like, Hey, Mavs beat the best team in battle. Like the Mavs beat the number one seed. And now they're down 0-3. So my question for you is, at this point in the series, as we record this on Monday night, does Golden State look better than you thought they would? Or does this series kind of, to you, reflect back on what Phoenix was in terms of Seth, where Dallas mm. is right now in comparison? Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think every series is different. Every opponent has their own unique personality. And clearly... While Phoenix wasn't at 100% uh, by the time they were closed out by these Mavericks teams, I will go so far as to say that the Mavericks team has looked worse than I expected them to. And I I don't think Golden State has looked better than I expected them to. I I just think the Mavs haven't been able to do what got them to this point, to play the kind of level of defense, to get those kind of supporting performances from other players. Like, Kleber's been a non-factor. Brunson hasn't been good. Uh, obviously, no Tim Hardaway Jr., but he hasn't been a factor at all for a long stretch. They just, they, I don't know, they just don't seem to have the kind of cohesion. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, you know, we're talking about, and that seems to be a, a recurring argument in the Eastern Conference Finals about, you know, whether or not the, Ma- the, the, sorry, the Celtics are a better team and Miami has just outplayed them through two quarters, et cetera. You know, that, that conversation's been dull and, and I don't think it really answers a good question. At the same time, you look at what... Uh, Golden State has done, uh, are they that much better than Dallas? And Dallas just hasn't been able to do the job? I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I, to me, it seems like just Dallas has not been able to live up to this moment that they kind of, you know, they just haven't been able to to get things done the way they normally do. I, I'm just not sure whether I'm prepared to give Golden State all the credit, even though I feel like they are deserving of a significant part of it. I just feel like some of the blame should also fall on Dallas's hands. You know, they just haven't been able to do the things that they did throughout the whole season to get to this point. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I don't know if I answered the question necessarily, but I, I, that's kind of where I feel. Like Golden State's really, really good, and Dallas also looks significantly worse than they had to, to the point to get here. I mean, it's always going to be a mix of both, right? Like, it's always going to be like sure. a healthy mix of, of one team's really good and one team's underperformed. I think it's it's interesting from the perspective of the whiplash on Dallas has been a lot for me to deal with, where it's like, you know. That's fair that jazz series. It's like, you know, who's really good. It's Jalen Brunson. Like, Hey, Jalen Brunson's pretty good. And it's like, yeah, he's been, he's been really good all year or like Dorian right. Finney Smith. Like, you know, who's a really good defender. Like, yeah, Dorian Finney Smith has been really good. And like, Oh, Reggie Bullock can shoot. Yes. Yes. That is what he has been his entire NBA career. And then, right. you know, after they beat the Suns, and it's like, look at all these guys and how they play Maxi Kaliba, so many clutch shots and Bullock was nails and great defense from DFS and obviously Luca and Jalen Brunson. And how about Spencer Dinwiddie? And then they get in this series and then immediately they're down, you know, they're down on three. And now the conversation, this Mavericks team is just not very good. Like they just do not right. have very good players. And I'm like, but we, we just we just got yeah. done talking about how good they were versus the best team in basketball, and it's not that I'm necessarily sold that this is a great team. It's that I don't know how to square the two, and the answer is probably somewhere a little bit more. I, I think uh, where I kind of have come down on it is really. I said this the other night. I feel like the Suns have lost two series in a row, where mm-hmm. like 
they lose that series to the Mavs, and then they have to watch this Mavericks team get smacked. And it's like, yeah, this is this is how far away the team that beat you was. Like, you're supposed to be a championship contender. You made the finals last year. And the team that beat you is getting like because that to me has been the thing is like the Mavs are just outclassed. Like they just they can't you can be a really good basketball team and not be able to hang at that level. Yeah. And that to me is like what this has felt like is it, it's not like the Warriors are doing anything that's any one thing that's messed with them. The zone has hurt them. That's definitely been right. a problem. Um Kerr's thrown a lot of different looks at Luca, which is smart and what you should do. They haven't let him get right. comfortable. Like that's been right. Tim Kawakami, who's who's an editor over at um, Athletic Bay Area, has tweeted this consistently in the series, and that's been my big takeaway: is yeah. the Mavs look really uncomfortable, the Warriors look exceedingly comfortable. Like the right. the Mavs have run out there switching defense versus all these teams, and like the Suns and and Jazz were just flummoxed by it, as if they were right. not expecting to see a team that switched all year switch. And then the Mavs hit the Warriors and the Warriors are like, no, 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 we do what you do, but we do it way better. And we know how to beat it because we hit you with back cuts. We're not going to run. We're not spamming pick and roll on you. We're going to hit you with like 15 different actions of complicated maneuvers on every offensive possession. And we're going to push pace. And that combination of things, Dallas just hasn't looked like they're in class. Um, I was going to ask, are the Warriors getting better as the, Playoffs Ooh. progress. Good question. I mean, it, it's that's a, yeah, it is an interesting question. And maybe you can talk it all about veteran leadership is that they understand as you go deeper and deeper into the playoffs, it requires more, it requires greater ability to, to morph and to show that versatility. And they certainly displayed that uh, to an extremely high level against the Mavericks. What do you think? I think so. I think they're getting more. I think that, I think honestly, a lot of it is I think they've controlled their burn. I think they knew exactly how much they had to give to get past Denver. Right. I think Memphis, honestly, they were expecting it to be harder and they stole game one. Right. And that, that game going their direction was like a huge coin flip for them that went in their right. direction. And then Morant gets hurt, right? right. They go up three, one. I don't know what to do with game five. You just throw that one into the ether. Just sometimes that happens. Um, they close them out. I think that's serious, honestly. I think, I think, I, in my opinion, I think Golden State, because I commented on this the other night, this has been very strange for me to see Golden State, who has always been so, for lack of a better word, cocky. Uh, yeah. All teams are confident. All teams are brash. Sure. These are the best players in the world. Like, they're all incredible athletes that have worked so hard and are so talented to make tens of millions of dollars a year. But this team is like, their tone is so different from the old warriors of we're going to smash you and we're going to dance on you. And there's nothing you can do. Like there's just so much more respect for their opponents and yeah. they seem very measured. And, the, but I do think as they've gotten closer, there's been a, Hey, the road is open for us. Phoenix is out. Giannis is gone. Right. I think they're, and this is not fair to Miami as very few little of the coverage has been in my opinion. We talked about this last week about how the heat are underrated, but I think there is kind of an idea of like there's one serious title contender left in their way and it's Boston. Right. Um, and so that I think has probably spurred them 
to play with even more intensity. I think the more the players see an opportunity, the harder they're going to go. Right. And that's been a little blood in the water kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Blood in the water. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, how Denver is facing a big change and Minnesota got itself a coup. We'll talk about that when we come back on locked on NBA. But first I want to tell you about rock auto. So if you're looking for a part for your car or truck and you're like, all right, I'm going to zip down to local big box stores. You go down to the big box store and you walk in the doors, ding, big doors open. You go in and guy says, what can I help you with? And you say, well, I need this. I need this part. And they go, okay, I'll look it up on the computer. One second. I'll see if it got in stock. Uh, is your Odyssey, is that an LX or an SX or an EX or an NX or an LFT or an NFT or a BL or BLT? <laughs> and you're like, I don't, I, it, yes. I, drive, I drive an Odyssey. <laughs> And confused, and you're, he's like, okay, well, let's just say that it's, a, it's an LX. They're mostly LXs. So he looks it up, and he says, oh, okay, well, I've got it, and we've got a pretty good price on it, but I don't have one in the store. But my guy at the other store has one. I can have someone bring it over to me real quick. Can you hang out in the store for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> like, this stuff happens to me all the time. Don't mess with that. Just go to Rock Auto. It's in your at-home and in your pocket, and you're going to get a better price that you can trust because the prices are the same at rock auto for do-it-yourselfers and professionals. Everybody gets the same price at rock auto. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer. And they've got every part you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So go explore their easy to use website today and find the solution for your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just write locked on in their how'd you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day, your first listen each and every day. Make sure to check out Locked on Heat with David uh, as if you want to know what it's like to talk about uh, Heat Celtics game four for three segments instead of just one. You can check out David's podcast over at Locked on Heat. And if you would like to hear more about what we're going to talk about in this segment, uh, I did an emergency podcast over at Locked on Nuggets because it became official today what most in Denver knew was probably going to happen over the weekend when uh, no news, bad news as Tim Conley has officially joined the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was reported today, first by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, unsurprisingly, and then shortly thereafter by Shams Terrania of The Athletic. Tim Conley joins the Minnesota Timberwolves on a four-year, I'm sorry, five-year, $40 million deal. That's the details. Five years, $40 million deal to become president of basketball operations with the very central and key component that an equity stake is included. Now, the terms of that equity stake are not public. There's no idea of knowing exactly what percentage that means. It could be worth $40 million. It might vest in five years. And, well, not a lot of executives last in the NBA for five years. Uh, it could be for $4.5 million. All of these types of things are unknown at this point. Um, what is apparent, and this is according to reporting from the Denver Post, is that the Denver Nuggets did in fact try and make an offer to keep Conley, but it fell, quote, well short financially of it. Uh, there's two sides to talk about here, and I've talked at length about how uh, this is bad 
That's the big takeaway. This is bad for Denver. Uh, and right. you find on locked on nuggets. We can talk about that in a second, but more so I want to talk about this from a, a Wolves perspective, David. Right. So Gupta is going to stay and it's probably going to be elevated. I would imagine he probably is getting a little bit of a pay bump too. Um, it's an interesting combo. The people I talked today around the league, that was what they commented on is they were like, the idea of Conley and Gupta is a really interesting combination, right? Of if you have one side that is very much a, an analytics forward person, the way that Gupta is right. And you have one person Conley who's entirely built. Like he's a, he will tell you, he's like, I'm just a scout. I just happen to follow this job. That's what he always says. It's like, I'm at my heart. I'm just a scout. But he's got all these built-in relationships. So you have the relationship side and you have the analytics side. And then you have Chris Finch, who is a nice combination of both. He's a lifer that's been around forever. He's a very good coach. He's coached overseas and in the G League and all sorts of places, been an assistant in the NBA and now a head coach. This has a lot of potential here. Uh, there's a lot of things I think Conley's going to have to navigate, but I'm curious as your thoughts on, for all the conversation about what this means for Denver, I think the idea of what it means for Minnesota has kind of been actually overlooked in terms of adding Tim Conley as president of basketball operations. I, I don't know. I always remain a little skeptical about these things because while it seems on paper that these are the kind of a smart move because you know, he's a proven entity who has these kind of connections that you mentioned, uh, you're, you're still kind of limited by what you can to, for lack of a better word, play around with like the toys available in your in your toy box, and, and so what is he going to do to restructure that roster to get them deeper into the playoffs to continue to build on the success they had this season? Uh, and you trust that they have again between those two people and the, the remaining parts of that you know front office that they can assess the roster well, make you know, cold decisions when necessary, make smart forward thinking decisions, and then be able to all capitalize on that. Uh, it's a good move there. I don't think there's any way of taking away from that at the same time, like front offices are judged unfairly almost every day. Like even towards the end of his tenure there, I wonder if there were some nuggets fans who probably said, Oh, does it matter? They didn't win anything under his watch. Like, did he really accomplish many. anything? I'm sure. I'm sorry. Many, there are yeah. many of those and they're all in my mentions. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, so it's not that I necessarily want to give that perspective credence, but it's hard to assess how successful they are, uh, until they actually build that roster and until they actually achieve something tangible, which in Minnesota, what does that look like? A trip to the NBA finals, a trip to the conference finals, uh, given the franchise's lack of playoff success, it seems like that's probably at least the next step they have to go to. And Denver did achieve that. I mean, albeit with a two-time MVP on their roster, so. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I like that you've got somebody with those that, I mean, from what you've said and from what others have said, you know, his ability to connect with players. Uh, I, I remember talking to Calvin Booth at one time and he's uh, he's the guy who goes with the team uh, regularly on road trips and things of that sort, because, uh, you know, having Connolly there kind of scares people to some degree, but they both, I think, interchangeable in that regard where they're both there. They don't want to freak out players when they go on the road. And that's part of the, the the success of this team is that they are kind of like an open door between the players and them, et cetera, that they're able to be able to you know just have conversations, uh, get the most out of their guys, kind of take a pulse of the team. That's that's a really important thing. Like this franchise, the Minnesota Timberwolves, has always been like they've been in such a state of despair for such a long period of time that they have this calming, steadying presence connects with players that understands what they're going through and can get a real good read on them 
throughout the course of you know a, a difficult and trying 82 game season. I think it's going to bode well. I think they're going to be successful as a result. They already were successful this past season, but I don't know. Uh, it's just hard to assess that kind of level of success until they achieve something more tangible. And a lot of that has to do with luck, too. I mean, they could assemble a great roster, and if Carl Anthony Towns goes down with an injury, well, guess what? None of that matters. And then nobody remembers, oh, he made a really good sign-and-trade midway through the season or you know, at some point in the, reg- in the offseason, or he made a smart pickup off the waiver wire. I mean, nobody remembers that because, you know, Who's going to remember what they've done over the last couple of years in Denver, except for the fact that, well, they didn't win an NBA Finals despite having a two-time MVP. That's just the unfortunate breaks of things. Yeah, and this is a, a much different challenge for Conley, Conley. too. Yeah. Because, I mean, for starters, you know, if I if you ask me, like, what what is the first thing that Tim Conley needs to do, it's he needs to get Carl Anthony Towns to, to buy in. And to him and look, Towns' comments were like this season, they got off to like a bumpy start. You could tell they yeah. won like their first three games, but then they lost a bunch because they got hit by COVID and injuries. Like yeah. D'Lo was out and Towns was saying things like, look, I've just been around here long enough. I know how this goes. And you're just like, that's like you're seven games in and you actually like have won all these, the, like you have some ones in games. Like you're going to, there are good things happening here. You're going to, be fine i think he's really is scarred by all those years of of having a doubt. you know started off his career really well and then making the playoffs and then having it go the way that it did and then on top of it like he's just had so many problems on a, from in his personal life with the death of, of parents but i think for him that's part of it is tim connelly's got to get him on board but then yeah. honestly the second thing is the best thing for the team would be for him to say hey Carly, if you're serious and you want to and you want to win, we need to trade D'Lo. Like your best friend is like our best trade asset to go somewhere else. These are all things that he hasn't had to manage because Nikola Jokic is always is just very much in the category of whatever you need to do, that's fine. Do it. Yeah. Like, you get paid to play, it's fine. Like Nikola Jokic is like as long as Vlako Chanchar is the 15th man, I don't care. So that's like been the whole thing. You know, Jamal Murray is a little bit more of a fiery personality, but they connected too. And now he's going to have to to go into a very different locker room and kind of build that trust and that relationship and do all that. From a Nuggets perspective, here's the cliff notes. Uh, This is the second time in 10 years that a very well-regarded executive has left the Denver Nuggets over compensation. That's what this was. It wasn't disagreements with ownership. It wasn't tension with the coach. It wasn't problems with with the superstar. It was just the money. And there's a number of arguments and it is, I will say this, like everyone has said equity in a team is a whole other deal that is so very rarely offered. I will say like, I don't know what the equity amount is. I don't know that. Right. If it's substantial, it could be worth tens of millions of dollars. And that fundamentally changes this entire thing. Yeah. No brainer. The odds of that being the case, I think are pretty slim. And so at the end of the day, I do just kind of wind up walking back to the biggest thing was, there was a inside of the athletic report. This note came out that the compensation for Conley is roughly double what he was making in Denver. That is more of a signal of Denver than it is anything else. And bear in mind, Conley has had multiple raises to get him to that level. This has been the nuggets MO. They now they paid 
they, they gave a huge extent. They gave Jokic the max extension. They're going to offer him the super max this summer. They gave Jamal Murray the max extension. They gave MPJ the max extension. They signed Aaron Gordon to a $100 million contract. They're going to be in the luxury tax this year. They're probably going to be in the luxury tax the next couple of years. Like ownership has said, we're willing to pay for players. They were willing to do this in the early 2000s to our late 2000s, early 2010s as well for a team that they thought was in contention. It was everything else is where they would look to save money, including the front office. And they've lost Masai Ujiri and Tim Conley now, two executives that did very well there. And Ujiri went on and obviously has become one of the best regarded and best executives and a champion executive as well. The Nuggets are going to be fine short term. Calvin Booth's going to do great. Calvin Booth knows the organization. He's been there several years. Tommy Balchettis takes over the GM role. There's a lot of, of organizational stability here. Nothing's really going to change. They have the core. If anything, this is probably going to make them more aggressive in free agency because mm. Conley was always very cautious. He never mm. wanted to make the wrong move that would hurt them long-term. Knowing the window, and given that this is a uh, less experienced, less established front office that needs to pretty much make a finals run to secure a multi-year deal, they're likely to be, I think, a little bit more, more aggressive uh, in terms of the team building front. But it's... Still, for me, it, it, the bigger takeaway is just Stan Kroenke, very specifically Stan, not Josh, Stan Kroenke sent a message that he is not willing to do everything to win a championship. He's willing to do everything to win a championship within reason. And that difference is, I think, very important when you're judging NBA contenders. Is there a sense that this is like, you know, I hate to use the term, but rats off a sinking ship kind of thing? Because a lot of people are looking at at the Nuggets future and maybe not as optimistic about it. I mean, you just mentioned that it was good in the short term or that they'll be fine in the short term. But I mean, how is there a chance that this could wind up being somewhat disastrous, that, that things could go very, very badly, even worse than they have over the last couple of seasons in terms of injury and things of that sort, uh, impacting this team with, you know, the salary cap issues and everything else yeah. they have moving forward. Yeah. There's, there's the idea of like, basically you know, he signed, he signs MPJ to what, right now looks like a disastrous contract and then leaves. I mean, I will just say like Conley's still there if they don't specifically offer him this much money. Um, he just is, he's still there. So I don't think it's necessarily a, I don't think he was looking to get out. I'll say that. Right. I don't, I don't get that sense. Look, I think we've seen a lot of contenders almost get there and then things right. fall apart. Right. You look like you're right on the cusp and then just, I mean, look, how many times were the Clippers, like the Clippers with in the in the Lob City era had the best net rating in the league for starters like four years in a row, right. and just it just never worked. It's entirely possible, you know. I don't, I don't. When I say things are going to be fine short term, I mean that Tim Conley leaving doesn't make Nikola Jokic not the MVP. An MVP, right? And, yeah. Tim Conley leaving doesn't mean that Jamal Murray doesn't come back and MPJ doesn't come back and the roster still looks really good overall. Right. Is it possible? I think so. I think it shifts the culture. It increases the variance. I said that I think this this moves the likelihood of Nikola Jokic signing the Supermax extension this summer from 100% to 90%. Mm. But you're still going to have Jokic at 90%. So I don't think that they're sunk. I don't project this to be like they're doomed. I don't think it's good. I think it's bad. And if to your point... Maybe this is the first of a number. Maybe this is not the first. Maybe the MPJ contract was the first thing. And then Connell or Arturis Karnasovas leaving and the MPJ right. contract. And then right. Connolly leaves. And then a couple of years later, you look and you go, whatever happened to that Denver team? That's how it goes right. in the NBA. So 
That's how it goes. All right, let's go wrap it up for Locked On NBA. For more on Heat Celtics, make sure to check out Locked On Heat with David. If you want to hear more about the Nuggets situation, you can check me out over at Locked On Nuggets. You can also check out Locked On Wolves for perspective on it from that side of things. We'll be back with you next week. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. We got Jake Madison, John Corrales taking on. Uh, I'm sure John will will be totally reasonable after that Celtics performance and not take it too far. Uh, Check us out all throughout the week. Make sure to download the show and check it out on YouTube as well. Great way to catch the show as well. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you again next time on Lockdown NBA.